Today on Focal Point with Pastor Mike Fabares. You've got to recognize, if you don't recognize it, and you've even got to anticipate it, you've got to anticipate Satan's deep pockets. Do you understand what I mean by that? He's got whatever it takes in his bag of tricks to get you to cross the line. So the question is for you and me, what price do you have? discover new life in Christ, we set aside our old life and embrace a new one. But that doesn't mean staying on the righteous path will be easy. Oscar Wilde put it like this, I can resist everything except temptation. Well, today on Focal Point, Pastor Mike Fabares is encouraging us to know our vulnerabilities so we can protect ourselves from Satan's deception. Pastor Mike illustrates this with a story about a time he had to avoid certain activities due to a knee injury. Well, let's get started. There are things in my life that I will not do that you may feel the freedom to do, and you may call me a legalist for not participating, but I know my weaknesses, and I don't want to go there. Do you have that kind of vigilance about your spiritual life that I have about my physical bones and my leg? That's the kind of vigilance we need to have, cognizant of my weakness, knowing, God, I'm vulnerable. What is your vulnerability? For David, it was sex, and for a lot of people in our culture, it's still sex, isn't it? God's built some parameters, and he says you can blow your life up and destroy it right here. Just step outside of these parameters. If you know that's your weakness, then what are you doing to protect it? Is your goal, like a lot of immature Christians' goal, how close can I get to sin without crossing the line? Or is it wisdom, which is how far away can I get from ever putting my life in danger by tempting that particular weakness of my life to destroy everything that I've been trying to build up in my walk with Christ? Don't set yourself up. You set yourself up by being in the wrong place at the wrong time. Okay, sometimes we can't control that, but you sure can control what you bring to those moments of vulnerability. Have you prepared? Have you protected? Have you defended? And when I say protect that weakness, I don't mean protect it with secrecy. I mean you protect it with accountability. Do you understand the difference? People know your weakness. Do people know your weakness? Are you one of those private Christians? Because if you're a private Christian, then you're a sin waiting for a place to happen. David sitting around in Jerusalem was not a good idea, not just because he should have been on the battlefield, but it's not a good idea because I know who David is. And David's got a lot of compromise in his life. So, verse 2, one evening, as though it were some chance happening, and you know and I know because we have an enemy that seeks to devour us, it was no accident that David that night could not sleep and he got up from his bed and it says in verse 2, he walked around on the roof of the palace. That's the way these homes were built, big decks built above the rooms and he, I'm sure, in the royal palace had a great view of the whole city of David and he walked out on his deck not able to sleep and hey, what do you know, by chance, middle of verse 2, from the roof he saw a woman bathing. Now what are the chances of that? I suppose it can happen. What are the chances that he gets up, he can't sleep, he's restless, he sees this gal, and wow, what do you know? I got a great view of this thing. And then it says in the bottom of verse 2, what? The woman was a real plain Jane. She was really just a dog, pretty much. Is that what it says? It doesn't say that because it's a very specific woman. 
Because you know if Satan's going to blow this thing up, he ain't going to pick a girl that's not attractive. As a matter of fact, you know he's probably going to pick the most attractive gal in the city. Accident? Or was it a sinister plot and a strategy to bait the hook with exactly what David wanted? You know, it's really not fair for me to have you ask me to go skiing with you this winter because I've never really liked skiing. Okay? Just never been my idea fun to pay a lot of money to fall down the side of a snow-covered hill. Oh, I know you like it, and that's offensive, but I've, I've never caught on to that. But there are some things I do like to do that would also put my knee at risk. I happen to be uh, sitting at the uh, Ducks game in some fantastic seats, and uh, <clears throat> there I was, seven rows back, watching the hockey game. It's a great game, if you saw the game. Exciting Friday night game, and uh, there they were, uh, beating up on, on the Blackhawks, and it was a wonderful experience, and I'm getting into this game, and I'm really enjoying it, and the guy that took me leaned over to me, and I know he's in a little, you know, get-together hockey league that they play at the ice rink here in Liso Viejo. And he leaned over to me and he said, we got to get you out there on the ice. And my mind started going, right? Picturing me and Paul Correa, right? Just skating around. Jersey, I could see it, you know? He starts asking me about equipment. And do you have any equipment? And I got equipment. And, and we start going. And, you know, I'm thinking maybe there's a remedial uh, kind of hockey league I might be able to get into and actually play. And I thought, I was going. And then you know what popped in my mind. I got a bad knee. And I don't think it's any safer for my knee to skate around on a slab of ice, right, <laughs> than it is to, to be, you know, sliding down a, a snow-covered hill. But, man... Was I tempted? What night do you play? Do you think I could come? You know, I was there. I was on the edge. Now, if I'm going to be tempted to blow out my knee, it won't be skiing. It may be hockey because I really like hockey. But do you see how this works? Satan is going to find what you really like. He is not going to tempt you with spinach. You know what I'm saying? (laughs) He's going to find just exactly what you want, and he's going to put it in front of you. This, in the Hebrew, so great, in the last phrase here in verse 2, in English it reads, the woman was, was very beautiful. In, in the Hebrew language it says, and she was beautiful of appearance, and then there's one little Hebrew word at the end of the sentence, very much so. Now, the Bible doesn't try to flatter anybody. There's no, there's no shallow compliments in the pages of inspired scripture. If that says that, she was just a beautiful girl. And it was just the kind of girl that just sent David's mind reeling. And Satan knew it. Away with this this foolish doctrine that seems to be going around the churches these days that, that Satan doesn't read your thoughts. Okay? Let's just put that one to sleep. Because... It just doesn't even make sense. For one, if Satan doesn't read your thoughts, what does he read? Your, your, your facial expressions or, you know, see, listening carefully with his cup against the door. I mean, it's ridiculous. He reads your thoughts. He is a spirit being. He functions in the, in the realm of the spiritual issues. And the spiritual issues are what's going on in your spirit. And what's going on in your spirit are the thoughts that you have in your mind. And you know what? When you indulge in a lustful thought, guess who's taking notes? Put it this way in your outline if you're taking notes. Number two, the text says 
that this was a beautiful girl. It was the kind of girl that David really would stumble over. You've got to recognize, if you don't recognize it, and you've even got to anticipate it, you've got to anticipate Satan's deep pockets. Do you understand what I mean by that? He's got whatever it takes in his bag of tricks to get you to cross the line. So the question is for you and me, what price do you have? In other words, what would it take? Guys, what would it take? What kind of woman would it take? How pretty would she have to be? How fun-loving would she need to be for you to violate your marital vows? Or turn it around, ladies, in difficult marriages. How, how, how understanding and sensitive and, and wonderful would that man have to be for you to skip out on your relationship? How, 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 how perfect would this guy have to be? Well, whatever it is, if you've got an answer to that question, Satan's got someone around the corner that fits that bill, and he's more than happy to to introduce you to him. Well, what about at work? What amount of money would it take for you to make a business deal or do something unethical or illegal? How much money would it take? What's that number? What's the price? What is your price? Because you recognize, don't you, Satan is willing to pay it. I mean, that's exactly what he's doing here, providing what David wanted. What he exactly wanted, what he really wanted. The story's told of a young struggling secretary who worked at a high-rise in a business district and struggling to make ends meet financially in her life. And she'd worked there for a few years. And over the years, there was a wealthy older man who worked in this office that continually, uh, you know, came on to her, was often interested in her. And obviously, more than just a platonic relationship, he had romantic interests in this girl. Well, one day, like a bolt of lightning out of nowhere, this guy leans over to her and privately says to her, how about it, you and me, $10,000? She was just taken back by this. No, what are you talking about? Understanding the seriousness of this proposition, that this guy was serious. She said, no, no way, of course not. Wouldn't do that. A few hours later, the guy comes back to her desk and leans over and says, uh, just think about it, $10,000, that's a lot of money. Just, just think about it. All afternoon, her mind was reeling. This whole moral standard in her life was being challenged as she thought about everything she could do to pay off her debts and get out of financial trouble, $10,000, wow, that's a lot of money. Just before quitting time, guy comes up to her one more time and says, $10,000, you and me, one night No one has to know. After grinding through this decision in her mind all afternoon, she looks down at the carpet and she says, okay, $10,000 one night, no one has to know. He leaned forward and said, great. He said, would you do it for 100? To which she replied with utter frustration, being completely offended. She said, of course not. She said, what kind of woman do you think I am? To which he replied, we've already determined what kind of woman you are. Now we're just negotiating a price. The question really isn't, what is your price? The question is, do you have one? Do you see the difference there? Because if you have a price, Satan will pay it. Paint the the picture. Who is it? What do they look like? 
What will it take? How much money? How much power? How much visibility? What kind of house? What kind of car? What kind of neighborhood? What kind of prestige? What kind of security would it take? Whatever it is, Satan is willing to pay it. All you got to do is cross that line. Come on and get it. He baited the hook. And here is Satan saying to David, here she is, the most beautiful girl you've ever seen, the most attractive woman in all of Jerusalem. David, here she is. All you got to do is cross that line. Come on. He'll do that to you because he knows you. He's just waiting for the opportune moment to present you with a bait. Anticipate Satan's deep pockets. He's got them. His resources are, are vast. David, verse 3, sent someone to find out about her. Now, you might say, if you're tracking with the historical context, well, okay, I mean, perhaps this is just another small compromise in his life. She could be available. She could be unmarried. She could be a widow. Who knows? I mean, this could be just another part of David's plan to indulge in what he wants and do it in a way that everyone seems to culturally wink at. But you know the story, right? Man comes back, inquires about this woman. Here's the report. Isn't this Bathsheba? And I can see David stroking his beard. Hmm, what a beautiful name, Bathsheba. Hmm. The daughter of Eliam. Now, Eliam doesn't mean anything to you, perhaps, but that's, Eliam is the son of Ahithophel. Ahithophel is one of David's chief advisors. Brings it a little closer to home. It's not an anonymous person anymore. Now it's the granddaughter of, of one of my, my elderly advisors. And then the servant throws this line in and the wife of Uriah the Hittite. Now, you've got to recognize that's a unique phrase to add because in the ancient Near Eastern world, if you were going to identify whether a man or a woman, you don't include their spouse. That's usually not how it works. You give their parent and perhaps even their grandparent if they're of noble uh, uh, ancestry, but you wouldn't, you wouldn't give their spouse. That's not normal in the Bible. It's not normal in ancient Near Eastern literature. But in this case, the servant throws it in. Why do you think he did that? I think he probably knows David. He's on to the fact that it's not just to, to discuss military strategies about the Ammonites that he wants to, you know, get, get, to get together with his gal. He's, he's figuring out there's some kind of romantic interest there, and I just need to let you know, boss, she's married. Mm-mm, married, off limits. Bathsheba, son of a lion. Wife of Uriah the Hittite. Hello, boss. She's married. Something very interesting about temptation. Dietrich Bonhoeffer put it well, I think, in his book on temptation. It's not, it's not that Satan fills our mind with the hatred toward God that gets us. It's that he fills our mind with a, with a forgetfulness. A forgetfulness of God, who I am, what this potential sin might create in my life, my world, my family, my reputation. It's this forgetfulness of all of those things that so skews our thinking that we're willing to do things in the heat of temptation that we would never advise anyone to do and never even think as a logical option, but we do in the midst of temptation because for just a moment we become temporarily insane. That's what temptation's all about. Second Timothy chapter 2, Paul talks about people that are taken captive. They're ensnared by the devil. And one thing that he points out is they have lost their senses. They don't think straight anymore. David is about to say, oh, well, I'm going to have her anyway. We're going to have tea and discuss the, you know, the nice uh, you know, spring, spring air. Whatever. He goes, forget it. Not interested in discussing that little bit of information. 
But the servant could know it, and he had it, and he offered it, and he said, Here, boss, you should know she's married. That should have been the roadblock, the red, the red light, the, the, the flag waving in his face. She's off limits, Dave. But he doesn't think. How many times have I sat across the desk from someone who's just committed some catastrophic sin? They've either been caught or they've come to the place of conviction and repented. And there's always that burning question that happens to be blurted out of my mouth. That, that, that obvious question that's always futile because there's no good answer for it. But it happens to just jump out of my mouth every now and then. And that was, what were you thinking, right? What were you thinking when you did that? Didn't you know what this would do? Didn't you realize what was at stake? Didn't you think? What were you thinking, man? And you know the standard answer. I wasn't. As they look and think of all that has happened, they say, I just, I wasn't thinking. You know, that's what Satan's strategy is in your life. To make you temporarily insane. To make you do things you would normally never do. Jot this down. David had an out. It was right there. It was right in front of him. He had someone saying the same thing that should have stopped him. He needed to borrow someone else's sanity, and he didn't. He thought for himself in the heat of temptation. Ah, dumb idea. Because we don't think well when we're being tempted. We don't think well when the big offer at work comes down that leads me to some kind of compromise. We don't think well when we meet this wonderful person. We don't think straight. We need to borrow someone else's sanity. And we're good at being defensive and telling everybody else that their advice is foolish. And we know what we're doing. We know what we're doing. Of course, until our life unravels and then someone asks us, what were you thinking? And we say, I wasn't. You've got to lean on someone else's sanity. And this 16-year-old or 18-year-old servant that walked in and said, Hey, boss, she's married. That's all David needed. He just had to take advantage of it. He just had to lean on it. He just had to say, So what do you think? I shouldn't have coffee with her? No, boss. But he didn't. He didn't lean on someone else's sanity. He didn't borrow someone else's brain while his was all infused in temptation. He thought he could make it on his own. Again, back to you Lone Ranger Christians. No one knows you. No one knows your temptations. No one knows your weaknesses, your sin, looking for a place to happen. Because you can't manage through the wilds of Satan's temptation on your own intellect because your intellect will be skewed. Your common sense will be checked in at the door and you will be in that place of temptation. You're going to need someone else to say, hey man, this doesn't make any sense. That's why everyone needs accountability in their life. Do you have some? Just this week, talking to people that have accountability in their life, and they still did stupid things. And you know why? Even though they have an accountability partner, they didn't call, and they didn't ask, and they didn't discuss it in the midst of the temptation. Man, just talk. you got to do it. you got to have a 24-hour hotline to some Christian brother or sister who can tell you what you're about to do is stupid. Stop it. You've got to have that. And you've got to borrow their sanity. What makes sense to you will be Satan's lies. And what will be real is you and your desire and the object of your desire, whether it's a home, whether it's money, whether it's advanced, whether it's some lady or some guy. It won't be God. That's why you need friends who aren't embroiled in the temptation to say, hey, man, it's wrong. Gary Larson, the uh, cartoonist that draws the far side pictures, drew one of two deers in the forest. Perhaps you've seen this, both big rack of antlers on their head, and they're talking. That's what they do in the far side. They 
animals talk. And so they're having this conversation standing there in the midst of all these trees in the forest. And as white-tailed deer often have, he has this nice uh, furry uh, pelt right here on his chest, the one, ant- the one uh, deer does. And he's talking to the other that has that same patch of white fluffy fur on his chest. But this one has some concentric black circles on it that resemble very much a bullseye. The one deer says to the other, two words, Bummer birthmark. (laughs) Here's the problem. The day you said, I want to follow Jesus Christ for the rest of my life, you don't see it, but it was plastered right there on your life. And you are a marked target of the enemy. And the question is, are you going to survive? Are you going to go down like so many other people? And we don't have to look to the Old Testament to read about them, do we? We can read the newspaper. We can look around in the Bible studies we attend, the churches we've been to, and we can see that Satan is actively involved in catastrophic sins that have repercussions for months or years. We've got to recognize we're targets. Are you, are you on the defensive? Are you careful? Do you understand that you can't handle it, that you need a partner in your life? Do you recognize that whatever it is that might tempt you to do wrong, Satan's there ready to give it to you? He's just looking for an opportune moment. Are you busy setting yourself up with a small series of compromises in areas that you think you can handle? You've got to be careful. May God protect us from catastrophic sins. These three simple instructions may help. Let's pray. God, we... Uh, really would like to navigate through this life without a Second Samuel chapter 11. And we know the first three verses are going to be reality for us. We're going to be in the wrong place at the wrong time. We're going to be offered exactly what we've always hoped to achieve, only it will be across a line of compromise. But God, what we want to do is stop short of verse 4. Oh God, help us. Please help us that we might bring glory to Christ. We don't want to bring pain to your heart. Be good to us, we pray, as we seek and strive to bring glory to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. You're listening to Focal Point and a message called Essential Strategies for Beating Temptation. In today's message, Pastor Mike Fabares reminded us that we need to be aware of our vulnerabilities and stay away from temptations that would destroy everything we've tried to build up in our walk with Christ. To review the helpful study notes for today's message, or to listen to the entire lesson from the beginning, go to focalpointradio.org. Just look for the series called Life as a Target. You know, there are plenty of teachers in our world who are more than happy to water down God's Word, saying what people want to hear. But we need to hear and understand the unaltered, unadulterated Scripture to transform our hearts, lives, and culture. That's why Bible teaching ministries like Focal Point are so important. So will you help us get this message out to even more people with a generous donation today? Your support helps us reach a wider audience with biblical teaching that doesn't shy away from difficult truths like we're covering today. Thank you for investing in spreading the plain truth of the gospel message. When you give today, we'll express our gratitude with a classic book titled All of Grace by Charles Spurgeon. This powerful book is helpful for anyone who has ever questioned the validity of their salvation. Request this guide to understanding God's grace when you give by calling 888 
888-320-5885. That's 888-320-5885. Or go to focalpointradio.org. If you prefer sending your donation by mail, write to Focal Point, Post Office Box 2850, Laguna Hills, California, 92654. By the way, if you've never let us know you're listening before, today's a great day to connect. When you do, we're going to send you a special gift. It's a booklet that helps you understand who God is. It's titled Attributes of God. Request the booklet when you call 888-320-5885 or find it online at focalpointradio.org. Well, I'm Dave Drewy, inviting you to join us again Tuesday as we continue our study through 2 Samuel right here on Focal Point. Hi, Pastor Mike here. God's Word promises it'll never return void. So I wonder, how is God's Word moving in your heart right now? Drop us a line. Let us know. We'd love to hear from you. We'd love to be praying for you here. Just go to focalpointradio.org and then be sure to join us again tomorrow right here as we continue to explore the depths of Scripture. We'll see you then. Today's program was produced and sponsored by Focal Point Ministries.